0: This is MS of Torah. It's not just a podcast, it's an in-depth analysis of the fundamentals of Tara, presenting the truth as seen through the eyes of the Torah. Don't forget to follow the podcast, visit our website at msofty.com and join patreon for exclusive content. The Rambam writes in the beginning of Sefer Amada, Hilchos Torah, that Rishon, the foundation of all foundations, the pillar of wisdom, is to know that there is a Matsui Rishon, a first Matsui, which will translate for now as existence, Vumam kol Nimsa. And it brings in all, everything else into existence. And anything that's existed all came from this first existence. The Rav is discussing what we have to know about Hashem. Now this is a Rav Malachah Aleph. Lachabez, Lacha Gimel, Dalad, and hay are all additional descriptions of what the mitzvah of Anoich Hashem L'Kachah is. As he says in Lachavav, that now he's explaining about, what he just said, i.e., from Aleph to Hei, he says, knowing these matters, is mitzvah saseh is a mitzvah, sham The Ramam in, from Aleph to he is really discussing the mitzvah Anochya Shamloka. Now we read Aleph. Now Beis says as follows. So Beis basically says that if something somebody it would enter somebody's mind that there is no Hashem, then nothing else can exist. And But if you were to imagine the opposite, that everything else would be, would not exist, nothing would change this first Matsui. So in Halakha Beis and Gimel, the Ram says that if you would think that there is no Hashem, nothing else could exist. But if nothing else existed, Hashem would be the exactly the same. And therefore, says the Rambam, his amitaso, his truth is not like amitas echad mehen. It's not like the truth, MS, of one of them. So first of all, we need to discuss why this is true. How did what he said in Allah and Gimel flow from what he said in Allah Aleph? Does it flow at all? Or is it just random, different random things that there is a first existence? And also, says the Ramam, that if the first existence wouldn't exist, Nothing else would, but if everything else wouldn't exist, he would still exist. Does that flow from halacha aleph? And secondly, what's the fiqachin amitaso kamitasachem? Therefore, because what I just said is true, we could say that the amitasoy, which again literally translated means his emes, his truth, is not the same as everybody else's truth. What does that mean? Then the Rambam just describes in hu shenavi okechem who He himself is emes, truth. True. excuse me, MS nothing else has a truth like his. what does it mean milvado? There's nothing else besides for him. So there is nothing else in existence which is MS like him. Okay. And then Halaka Hey, the says that this what we just described, is the ruler of the world, and that is Anoche Hashem Elokecha. In short, the first four halachas, it's more proper to describe them as the explanation of Yirkei Vavke, the name of Hashem, when he says Anoche Hashem Elokecha Hashem, Yirkei Vavke, is described, really the Rambam is basically describing, we'll call it, its attributes, from Aleph to Dalit. Hey, is that this Yirkei Vavke is in charge of our world, and mamela that's Anoche Hashem Elokecha. I am, Hashem is saying, I am Hashem, Yirkei Vavke, Elokecha, the one who runs your world. So we're going to discuss Halakha's Aleph to Dalit, really. That's really what we want to focus on. Let's start from Aleph again. So, the Rabbim says like this again. You should know that there's a Matsui rishan. What is Matsui rishan? So, if you look in the Perush, many, many Rishon use the following term. One way or another, either this exact term or a little bit, a little bit of offshoot, but it's the same idea. He says, Perush Matsui M'chuyev Hametsiyas. The so Per, the, the, the who obviously obviously referring to, is M'chuyev HaMetzias. Loosely translated, that means his existence is obligated, not optional. As opposed to efshar matzios, that something's existence is possible, this existence is obligated. So, what does that mean exactly? We need to discuss what this means. Mukhuiyef matzios, mukhach matzios, other term, other svarim use, but again, it's the same, it's the same thing. So, what does this mean, and what's the <coughs> what's the meaning? What's the significance of the meaning of this? In order to understand this, we need to take we have to take a little step back, and we're going to discuss the concept of infinity. So. Let's start with a little bit of a, a riddle. We want to discuss now the the difference between what we call never ending and infinity. What does that mean? What's the difference? Let's let's talk about this riddle. If a person is standing five meters away from the door So let's take this space of five meters. Now, you could divide that space of five meters into multiple parts. Assuming we don't have the problem splitting the atom, if you just want to talk about it from a practical point, we just divide the space of the atom without actually splitting it, because we don't have the tools yet to split the atom, but okay. So just divide the space of the atom. How long can you go dividing space in between point A and point B? So the answer that most are thinking is infinity infinite amount of times. Same type of thing if I ask you between the numbers 1 and 2, how many digits are there? Well, infinite amounts of digits because you have 1.1, 1.2, 1.3 to 1.9, but you only really have 1.11 and 1.111, 1.1111 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, and so on and so forth. And there's almost an, pretty much an infinite amount of digits between 1 and 2. Well, if that's the case, that you could divide the space between myself and the door to infinite amount of times. There's infinite amount of pieces, we'll call it spaces between myself and the door. That poses a problem because infinity, you can never pass, Infi- infinity never ends. So if infinity never ends, then how do I ever get to the door? If I have an, a pathway that's infinite, then I should never be able to reach the end of that pathway. So if there are infinite amount of spaces between myself and the door, then how is it that I could ever reach the door? And that's the question that many have asked. Even philosophers have asked such a question. There's another offshoot of this question, a very similar type of thing. I'll, I'll just mention it. If you take a, a ruler that's 30 centimeters long, and again, you cut that into how many pieces, as many pieces as you can, so again, you'll get the, the amount, infinite, infinite amount of pieces, because you could keep cutting the pieces. That Yet, if you take a stick that is three meters long, so again cut the same amount of pieces, and how many pieces will you be able to get, also infinite. So it comes out that a ruler, which is 30 centimeters long, and a stick, which is three meters long, have both have infinite amount of pieces, which should mean that they're really the same length. But they're obviously not the same length. That's absurd. So... What's What exactly is going on over here? How do you understand this? So the idea basically is as follows. If I take a, between a space, let's talk between one and two, for example, between the numbers one and two, while it might be true, we're going to see in a moment that somebody might be able to call the amount of digits between one and two infinity. However, you're never going to add from add on that space. You want to add digits, you could add digits, but you're never adding the space of, you're never adding between one and two. In other words, if I have something that's one meter long, even if you could say that they're infinite amount of sp- spaces, I'm never adding to it. It's always going to stay one meter long. So if I have between myself and the door five meters, you could break it down as many times as you want, but I'm never adding to the distance between myself and the door. So of course I could pass that distance. That's in the general sense. So why is that really true? The reason why it's true is because there is not a- an infinite amount of spaces between myself and the door. It's actually not true there might be a never-ending amount of space. There might be a never-ending amount of digits between the numbers one and two. That might be true. But each space and each digit will be a finite space or a finite digit. So let's take the space example for a second. When I break down the space between myself and the door into two parts, so now each one is two and a half meters, so there's two spaces. Now, if I ask you at this point, can I cross that terrain. Can I get to the door? Yes, of course I can. Because I could cross two and a half meters and I could cross the other two and a half meters, no problem. Can I break each one down to its half? Now it's 1.25, 1.25, 1.25, 1.25. Can I now get to the door? Of course, because I could pass 1.25 four times. And then I break it down again and again. And again, at what point will I not be able to reach the door? Obviously, I'll I'll be able to reach the door. The reason why I'm able to reach the door is because you will never have an infinite amount of spaces between myself and the door. You'll have a finite amount. You could have a never-ending finite amount, but you'll never have infinite infinity between myself and the door. You will always have a finite space. And if I could always have a finite space, I'll be able to cross that no problem. It's like if I ask you, what, at what point if I start counting now and never end, what point will I reach the number infinity? You will never reach the number infinity because infinity is not a real number. You could count forever and ever and ever and you will be able to count forever and ever and ever because there are no, there's no end to the number of digits there are. It's never ending, but you will never reach the number infinity. The mathematicians sometimes will call something infinity, but it's not really infinity. It's an infinite numbers meaning never ending set of numbers, but it's not real infinity. There is no n- real number number of infinity, and therefore anything you that has a number, anything that's countable, you know for sure one thing, which is the amount of it is not infinity. That you know for sure. So again, if you go back to our stick and our ruler, Analogy, the same type of thing. It's always going to be thirty centimeters, and the stick will always be three meters. Even though you could break it down into quote unquote infinite, really what it means is never ending amount of spaces between the thirty centimeters or the three meters. But it'll never pass thirty centimeters, and never pass three meters. No matter what you have, you'll never get more than a finite amount of numbers. And therefore, of course, you could it'll, at finite will end each one number. It's really each number is one uh, each number you will be able to traverse that space because each space is finite. If you add enough finite numbers, you'll never get to infinity. So first of all, two things to take out. First of all, that anything countable will not be infinite. It will be finite. And second of all, once a part of the whole will be finite, you would know the whole is going to be finite as well because At what point will we be able to get to infinity? The answer is never. So if I'm counting grains of sand in the sea, I will never get to the number infinity. Even though I cannot count all of them, it's going to be too much for me, but I will know that the entire amount is not infinite because I could count some of them. And if I just add, if I count five grains of sand and the rest of the sand is just a bunch of, groups of five grave, grave, uh, grains of sand multiplied, then I know whatever I'm gonna get, I'm not gonna get infinity. So that's the idea. That's an important idea to to know, is that infinity in real life doesn't really exist. The Rishonim talk about this in different ways. They bring different examples, they bring different examples how to bring this point out. And I'm not gonna go into the examples, but that's really the idea that we need to understand is that the number infinity doesn't really exist in real life. Everything is finite. Now if something is finite, then we understand why that means it has an end. The number itself is limited. One is always limited, one as opposed to two. The space, which is finite, is obviously limited. You could traverse that space. Finite has an end, and finite also has a beginning for the same reason. Now let's see, a uh, use an analogy to, to make this point very clear. If Let's say you see a guy who's putting in jelly beans one by one in a big bowl, and every time the bowl gets filled, it expands magically. So you keep keeps putting in jelly beans. Now, you want to know how long is he putting in jelly beans for and how many jelly beans are in there? Well, he's never going to, you're never going to count. So, can you say that there's infinite amount of jelly beans? No, you cannot. Fine. Let's start, let's ask the following question. Is it possible to say, if you go over to him and say as follows, you say, you know what? Stop putting in jelly beans for a second. He's okay. He stopped putting in jelly beans. Now start removing jelly beans. Is it possible to say that he's never going to finish removing jelly beans? Not in a long time not in a very long time, I mean to say, is it possible to say that he will never be able to finish removing jelly beans? So it's not possible to say that. Why not? Because of course, he's never—he's not going to be adding jelly beans. There's a finite amount of jelly beans there. If he starts removing them, he will eventually get down to zero. And that means because there was a first jelly bean. Again, nothing that's countable can be without a beginning. Because the number can be diminished. So once the number can be diminished, it's possible, it's impossible to say that it'll never reach zero. If I could take the top jelly beans, ones on the top of the bowl, why would I not be able to say I could take away the bottom jelly beans? There's nobody else adding more jelly beans as it were. If I pass, traverse a certain amount of jelly beans, of course, if I remove them now, I'm eventually going to get down to zero. That's just a way of showing that, of course, if there's a finite amount of something that has an end and it also has a beginning. That means anything that's countable is finite. If the part of, it, of something is finite, then the whole be finite as well. And anything finite has an end and it also has a beginning. And that's the first thing we need to know about the difference between infinite and finite in order for us to understand something about, about Hashem. That's part one. Part two is as follows. Everything that we has existence in this world that we know of has a cause as to why it existed. On everything I could say about it, why does this thing exist as opposed to not exist? If I look at the table and I ask, I, I could ask myself, why is the table here as opposed to not here? It was possible that the table cannot be here. So why is it here as opposed to not here? So for now, we're going we're to use the easy cause. We're going to try to understand a very basic cause and we're going to say as follows, that the table is here because somebody built the table. So the table could not have been here. It could not have been here, theoretically. It is here. How did it get here as opposed to not existing? The answer will be the carpenter. Okay, and that is going to be the cause of the thing. The cause is the thing that brought it into existence as opposed to non-existence. Now, as a side, why does it have to be true? This has to be true because nothing can bring itself into existence from a state of non-existence. If there was no table, the table itself cannot bring itself into existence. That's something that's axiomatic. As we discussed, mentioned it once before, now that's pretty important for this discussion, is that nothing that was in non-existence could bring itself into, could bring itself into existence. It needs something outside of itself in order to bring it into existence. That thing that brings it into existence is going to be called its cause. So for the table, its cause is going to be the carpenter. So again, if the table would not have existed, I don't need a cause for that. I don't need a reason why something doesn't exist. I need a reason why it exists. The reason why the table exists is the carpenter. So that is the cause of the table. And it's the same thing by anything. Anything anything that happens in the world also has causes, but we're now going to focus on how things come into existence. The way things come into existence is simply because there was a cause to it. If I look to why this thing exists, the question I always have to ask myself is why this thing exists as opposed to non-exists. If I, I could say that about myself, the answer will be my parents. I say that about this couch, the answer is whoever made the couch. You could say that about any single thing in the world and ask it why it exists as opposed to doesn't exist, and the answer, whatever the answer is going to be, is what we call it, its cause. And that's true about everything in the world. Again, how do I know it's true about everything in the world? Because things don't bring itself into existence, and therefore, something which was not existent, and we're we're gonna be very careful how we say this, because it's gonna come back, it's gonna be important for us in a couple of minutes, but things that had were in a state of non-existence, if you want to say it that way, need a reason why they exist. And therefore, they need a cause to bring them into existence. That's why everything, and since everything, certainly everything we know, in the world could have a state could have been in a state of non-existence therefore it needs a cause okay now here's the question using what we know by what we just have established by infinity and finite let's speak this let's flush this out the issue is as follows if this table needs a cause by the same logic and the same rule the thing that the cause of the table also needs a cause so in our case the carpenter needs a cause and he does have a cause his causes his parents well that's good that solves one problem, but we now have another problem that its cause also needs a cause. So his parents need a reason for being. If the, the tree needs a cause, so it's the seed. The seed is the cause of the tree, let's say. But the seed also needs a cause. And so on and so forth. Every If every cause needs a reason for exist, i.e. it needs a cause, then that cause also needs a cause. And then that cause also needs a cause. And that cause also needs a cause. And so on and so forth. Until when? So now we're going to insert the question, how many causes are there in the world? That we're not going to know, but the question is going to be, how many causes, are there infinite amount of causes or a finite amount of causes in the world? Well, since I could count the causes, they're very countable, then I know, I should know that using our tools that we discussed, I should know that there are a finite amount of causes in the world. Like we said, anything countable is finite. And even if I don't know the entire amount of causes, but I know since part of them are finite. So if I just add more causes to things, so then I all I get is still finite numbers. I never get to the number infinite. So then I know there are a finite amount of causes in this world. Again, if I could point to five or six causes and I say, well how many are there? And someone wants to make the argument maybe they are infinite on of causes, I'll say well at what point does it cross the number from finite to infinite? If I just add another cause and another cause and another cause and another cause, at what point do I all of a sudden get an infinite amount of causes as opposed to finite. The answer is you're not going to, just like we've established already. So if that's the case, there are a finite amount of causes. Now if there are finite amount of causes, so let's look at the causes as the jelly beans. So if I remove, if, if I start counting the causes, if I'm able to, as it were, remove the causes, like I'm trying to remove the jelly beans, I just want to count them. If I stop all the causes in the universe for one moment and I say, okay, let's go and count all the causes. Would I ever not stop counting? Is it possible to say that I'll go on forever and ever counting causes? The answer is no. Just like by the jelly beans, I would eventually get to the first jelly bean. So by the causes, I would get to the first cause. Now, there's a big problem now with this first cause. Because by definition, this first cause cannot have any cause. Because if this first had cause would have a cause, it by definition would not be a first cause. First cause means it is the first of all causes. It does not have any cause. As to why it exists. It simply does. Well, how does that work? We've just established this principle that every single thing that needs that comes into existence needs a cause, needs a reason for it to come to existence. Non-existence doesn't need a reason, existence does. We've just made this entire rule how everything needs a cause, but now we get to this exception, seemingly. Well, how does how does it make sense? How can we have this exception to the rules that doesn't seem to fit? So even before we answer that, I just wanna make a point, which is the fact that we can't conceptualize what this first cause means doesn't necessarily mean that it can't exist, it just means we can't conceptualize. The mind doesn't have the ability to conceptualize things that it never experienced. So even if I tell you there is this first cause that itself has no reason to why it exists or nothing brought it into existence, mathematically it has to be and just because we can't conceptualize it doesn't mean it doesn't exist the example that I've heard a couple of times is that if you try and tell a, a blind person to describe to him a color he will not be able to conceptualize what that what a color is yet scientifically we could prove that there are different shades of light and there are colors of course so just because you can't conceptualize something doesn't mean that there's a question on whether it exists or not it just means you can't you haven't experienced it if you could same type of thing we would say about a spiritual world so we're not trying to prove a spiritual world, but in theory, let's assume we agree already that there is a spiritual world. It doesn't just because somebody can't conceptualize a spiritual doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It just means that why would I be able to conceptualize it? I've never experienced it. So of course I couldn't. So okay, now back to our point. This first cause doesn't have a cause. Now how are we gonna answer this question? So the answer is as follows. We said we were very careful with how we spoke. What we said was everything that has a possibility of non-existence needs a reason why it exists. So again, let's take our table. Our table had a possibility of not, of not existing. So what brings the table into existence as opposed to staying in its state of non-existence? The answer is a cause. So the rule is everything that has a possibility of non-existence needs a cause to bring it into existence. That's the rule. So if we're going to say about this first cause, that it doesn't have a cause, yet it must exist, so then we would have to say as follows, that there was no possibility of non-existence by this first cause. Again, this line is going to be something that we, is the problem where we can't conceptualize it. This is what we just said. But let's go through it. It must be that the first cause, the nature of the first cause existence is different than anything else. Everything else has a possibility of non-existence, which we'll label Efshar HaMetziyus, possibility of existence or non-existence. Everything could have been or could have not been in the world, and those things need a cause for existence. But this first cause, by definition, since it had no cause, yet it does exist, we must say that it had no possibility of non-existence and therefore doesn't need a cause. I don't need a cause to exist, If there is no possibility of non existence. If I can, if a thing can never not have existed, and under all circumstances it just exists, then it doesn't need something else bringing it into existence. Remember, we said that a cause needs something else outside of itself to bring it into existence. Things don't create themselves. So if something has non existence, nothing can create itself. And that's also true by this first cause. The first cause did not have non existence and brought itself into existence. Just simply this first cause, non existence was not a possibility by it. It was completely simply just existed and therefore it doesn't need a reason a cause to bring it into existence and that is this first cause and that's the difference between possible existence versus quiet or obligated existence and again everything only needs a cause to exist if it's something that we'll call efshar Hamatsius, something that's a possible existence but if something is mukhrach or mukhui of it does not need a cause to exist now that's what these sfarim mean when they say it means to say what we just described, which is that there was no possibility of non-existence from this first cause. The chazanish gives a little bit of an of example and he says, not exactly what I'm describing, but a little bit similar to what I'm describing is that 1 plus 1 equals 2 can never have been different under any circumstances. 1 plus 1 is always going to equal 2. It doesn't need a reason to equal 2. It couldn't have theoretically not equaled 2. 1 plus 1 equals 2 is a Truth that when that can never have changed, even the way he says it, even before Brias Oilam. He's talking about a triangle over there, but it's the same type of thing that one plus one equals two would have been true no matter what. It can never not have been true. Okay. That's, that's an aside. The point is this first cause existence could never have not existed, had no possibility of non-existence. It simply exists with no other reason, just is. And again, it's something that we can conceive of because everything we know of has a possibility of non-existence. Everything we know of has a cause that brought it into existence, but it has to be that this first cause did not. Because again, there cannot be a finite there not going to be infinite amount of causes. That means there must be a a first cause. The first cause by definition could not have could not have had a cause. Yet this first cause existed because there has to be a finite amount of causes. And, and we are all brought into the world because of this first cause, as we will soon discuss. And therefore, this first cause must have never had a possibility non-existence. It must have only have existed without any other possibility. That's what we call or So if you look at the Rambam in Halacha Hey, he says, So this first cause is the God of the world. This first cause is what runs the world. And says the Rambam, This first cause is what we call Hashem. It's not that we're claiming that there is a God and we are claiming that God is the first cause. It's not at all like that. It's we're saying, there is something that there's a first cause. Our name for this first cause that we got from him, but the name for it is God, Hashem. So it's a reality. The reality is there are trees in the world. The reality is there are couches in the world. The reality is there are houses in the world. The reality is there's a first cause in the world. The idol worship, worshipers worship trees and stones and any other thing. The Jewish people worship the first cause. And this is what the run in the Joshua Sarran writes, that, again, in discussing, and he's discussing how everybody knew of this idea of a first cause. That was just obvious, as he says. It can't be an infinite regression of causes. That wasn't the Chiddush. The Chiddush, what was being taught by the mitzvah, of Noche is that this first cause, very similar to this Rambam, actually, that this first cause is what actually runs our life. He's actually involved in the world, and he took us out of Mitzrayim. That's Anoche Hashem Elokachah, Mitzrayim without getting ahead of ourselves, there is a reality of the world called the first cause, and this is what we call God. So, let's just speak out a couple of points now that need to be spoken out. People will say that even if you want to say, use this argument about this first cause, who says, either they will say, who says it was God? Or they will also say, that's very nice what you're saying, but who created God? So... The question, obviously, if those have been really understanding what we've been saying, is obviously just a simple mistake. Because again, let's say it as as we just said it. We can prove that there is something called the first cause. The first cause, by definition, had no creator, because otherwise that would be its cause. So therefore, that can't be. This first cause is what we refer to as God. So to ask who created God is like asking what caused the being that had no cause. What caused the first cause? Well, the first cause has no cause. So, well, what was its cause? Well, it's a nonsensical question, obviously. It's not that there's an answer, it, just, it doesn't even need to have, there doesn't need to be an answer because it's nothing you're asking. You're just putting words together, which we'll discuss this idea at other times as well. But this question of who caused the first cause is obviously nonsensical. It's like saying, like some, some scientists point out, what is the northernmost, what, what's the point that's more north in the world than the North Pole? is a completely nonsensical question because it's saying the North Pole is the northernmost point of the world. What's more north than that in the world? Nothing. Obviously, that's a nonsensical question. Well, what caused the first cause? What caused the thing that had no causes is equally nonsensical. So when you ask the question of who created God, that's what you're asking, as opposed to what cause you're saying the word created, and as opposed to saying the first cause, you're saying God, who created God, but it's the same question, the same nonsensical question. That There is no answer because there's not, you're not providing us a question because the words don't make any sense. So that's in short, the answer to who created God? Nothing created God. Hashem was always there. He was mechui of And if you to their other question of how do you know the first cause was God? Again, it's not that we're claiming there's a God and also the first cause. And our claim is that the God is the first cause. It's the opposite. We're saying we know there's a first cause. This first cause is who we call God in Jewish in Judaism. This first cause is what we refer to as yud kei vav kei yud he, and then a hay and a vav and a That is the first cause. What can we know about this first cause? So let's talk a little bit about this. Can there be two first causes? So there cannot be. Now, why is that true? Besides the fact that it means first cause, but in a more basic reason, and this is also going to explain many, many other things about this first cause, is as follows. Let's say we are saying that there are two things, A and B. And we're saying A is causeless, Right? We want to ask really, as opposed to asking the first cause using that, that terminology, we're going to ask, can there be two causeless beings? Let's ask it that way. And the answer to that is also no. Let's say A is causeless, thing A is causeless, and thing B is also causeless. We're going to have a little bit of an issue. A and B are similar in one way, in the fact that they are causeless, as we're trying to describe, but they're also different in another way. Now, how do I know they're different? Because if they weren't different, there wouldn't be a difference between A and B. Every difference has to be because there's a limitation to something. If there's no limitation, A is just B, Then there's no A and B. They need to be different because something needs to be separating, ending where A is and B needs to start somewhere else. Again, if there was no differentiation between the two of them, then it wouldn't be two different things. Anything of difference, plurality, needs limits. So A can, A is A and not B and B is B and not A. If you want to take two different things, a chair is different than a table. Chair is limited to what it is and it doesn't go into the, it doesn't go into the definition of a table. A table is what it is. A chair is what it is. It has its limits. A chair is only this, whatever you describe a chair. A table is only this and not this. So the limitations allow us for making differentiation between two different things. So A and B have to be different as well. That's to be something that separates A from B. Otherwise it'd be the same thing. Well that means that A and B have two aspects to it. Number one aspect is that they're causeless. That That is what makes them similar. And the second aspect is the thing that differentiates them, the thing that makes them different. Therefore, it comes out that A has parts and B also has parts. A has two parts and B has two parts. Now, if A has two parts and B has two parts, then you can't call A and B causeless because the composition of its parts are its cause. If it wouldn't be put together this way, then it would be something different entirely. If I take out half of A, then it would be different than A. It would be something else. So it's only once I put the two parts together, that I get A. Well, if that's the case, then by definition it has a cause. And what we're looking for is a cause as a being. That means anything that's composition, anything that has parts to it, cannot be the first cause because the putting together the composition of its parts are actually its cause and therefore it can't be the first cause. So in short, anything that has parts, anything that has different aspects to it can't be the first cause. In order for something A to be different than B, it needs different aspects, one aspect where it's similar, one aspect where it's different. If that's the case, its composition is its cause and therefore it can't be a causeless being. And therefore the first cause, we can learn about many things from this first cause. Number one, we can learn about it doesn't have any parts. This first cause, it's not composed of anything. Again, because if it were, then that would be its cause and it wouldn't be the first cause. This first cause cannot have any emotions, because again, if we would have if it would have emotions, then those emotions would make it what it is, and it doesn't have any cause it can't have any attributes. it is just simple as well. We just said that this first cause we prove from the fact that a and b can't be causeless we proved it from the fact that that they are Compositions—they are different parts put together to make them, make them what what they are. So let's take that thing A for a second. A, which has the two parts, that for the first thing can't be the first cause because again, putting its co- composite parts together make it what it is, and that it is its cause. That means our first cause, which doesn't have any cause by definition, does not have any parts. We'll call it one in the sense that it has no parts—not only one as opposed to two, not simply that there's one and not something else but rather that it's one as opposed to multiplicity multiple parts just oneness as we say it's only one in the sense like nothing we've described before nothing we could even conceive of everything that we can conceive of has parts even if you can't see them let's say science, scientists can see the different parts of the, everything that we have is composed of multiple parts. If you go down to the atomic level, obviously you could see those parts, but even more basic than that isn't for many things. You could see that it's composed of different parts. So if I say there's one book over here, that is true. There's one book, one as opposed to two, but this one book has many parts making it as a book. As opposed to this first cause, it has no parts. It's simply one. One Again, one in the sense, nothing that you could conceive of because we cannot possibly understand what that means. Again, the mind doesn't generate new information. It, it doesn't, we, everything that we learn, we live in a world of multiplicity. This first cause is is simply oneness. That is exactly what we say th- two or three times a day, every Jew. Shema <speaking in Hebrew> Yisrael is echad. It doesn't simply mean that he's one and there's no, there's nothing else. There's no other God. It does mean that, but more basic than that is that he is echad in the, oneness in the sense that we're describing. He is simply one, no composite parts. And therefore, he's also Ain Ein El Milvada, uh, that we're going to have to wait to how that, the fact that he's one in this way, makes it that there's nothing else like him, that we're going to have to wait for that. But when we say Hashem is Echad, it means he's one, he is oneness, he's not made of any parts. Now, at least uh, as well, we can start to understand why it is we can't define Hashem. We, we hear a lot of these things, we can't conceive of Hashem, we can't define Hashem. So I, th- I think at least on a very basic level, we can understand why we can't conceive of Hashem, based on this. But why is it that we can't define Hashem? Well, Every definition, if you think about it, is a list of its causes. Now, there are four basic causes that we will have, and we're going to d- expand on this a little bit next time. It's in Greek philosophy, but it's all over Torah as well. Chomer, Tsura, Poel, and Tachlis. Chomer is the material, Tsura is its shape. Poil is the thing that brings it into existence, and tachlitz is its purpose. So, if I ask you to define something, so again, the, the classic example is chomer of a table is a is wood, let's say. Sura is the shape of the table. Poil is the carpenter, and the tachlitz is the purpose for putting food on it. That's the, the list of all causes. Now, if I ask you to describe something, anything, take anything in the world, and I say describe it, define it, meaning to say, don't just use the word table. Actually, go through, it, describe what it is. Well, if I describe a table, it's the table in front of me right now is a table. It's made of wood. It has a piece of wood on top, four wooden legs, and it's there for the food, put food on it and to eat off of it. So I've just given you a list of its causes. Talk about a book. A book is this. It's a bunch of paper put together with writing in it for reading. So again, I've given you a list of its causes. The reading is the tachlis, the piece of paper is the chomer. and if I tell you the shape, it's the tzura. You give a list of any, you you try and define anything in the entire world, what you'll come up with is a list of its causes. And therefore we understand very easily why if I tell you something does not have causes, why you can't define it. We can't define it because it doesn't have any causes. Every... Definition is a list of causes. If something has no causes, there's no definition for it. That's very simple. Why we can't define Hashem, we can't conceive of Hashem, because what are we supposed to? What words are we supposed to use? What experience are we supposed to have of this? Of course nothing. So it's not a lack. It's not because of a lack of understanding per se or a lack of proof, we'll call it, that we're not hiding from things. When we when we say we can't define Hashem, we can't understand Hashem, it's not a weakness in the sense of lack of proof of Hashem. It's simply because Hashem is something undefinable. Hashem is something so far away from our conception that we simply cannot understand, cannot define Him, as we said, because He has no causes. So this is the first idea. And this is what the Rambam means when he says, Yesham Matsui Rishan And this is the parish The parish says And he explains how the only terminology The only term the Rambam can give For Hashem is Matsui And he explains really based on what we just said So said, how else are you going to describe something If I want to describe a new thing for you What am I going to do I'm going to give you a list of his causes Well if this thing does not have any causes What am I going to use What terms am I going to use So the only thing you can use is Matsui Something in existence now we're going to see why that also is actually a very apropos term. We're going to have to wait for the next couple of halachas of the Rambam for that. But that's what the Rambam describes. The Rambam describes a mozzly region, its first existence. There's nothing, nothing other term to give Hashem, because again, there's no other term to define Hashem. So there's no other words to be used over here. This is the first part of, number one, proving that there's a first cause. But more importantly, I think, understanding what it means when we say Hashem. It's the first cause that has no reason why it's alive, why it exists, Nothing brought it into existence. It doesn't get impacted by anything. It can't change because if it change, that means something impacts it and we know nothing impacts it. It's not within time it's also not within time because otherwise time would be its cause. It's not within space, there's no limits to it because that would be its cause. There's many things we are learning about this first cause who in the Jewish religion we call Hashem. And that's going to be the f- that is Halacha Aleph essentially of the rabbin. And the next time we're going to discuss and Dalid. Why everything in Bayes Gemondal is a result of what we just said over here. Why Bayes Gemondalid are more of not the scripture of the first cause, but things come out of the fact that there is a first cause. Exclusive content on Patreon. You can submit your question and get them answered. Only for members on Patreon. Don't forget to check out our own website, msofterra.com. And remember, we are wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Subscribe to know when the next episode is being released. The podcast is produced by Ellie Podcast Productions.